The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 1, Section 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 1, Translated by Richard Burton. Section 4 Such was the case with King Yunan, but as regards the sage Duban, he returned home and slept as usual, and when morning dawned he repaired to the palace and craved audience. The king ordered him to be admitted. Then, having kissed the ground between his hands, in allusion to the king, he recited these couplets with solemn intonation. Happy is eloquence when thou art named her sire, But mourns she when, as other man, the title claim. O Lord of fairest presence, whose illuming rays Clear off the fogs of doubt, I veiling deeds high-famed. Ne'er cease thy face to shine like dawn and rise of morn, And never show time's face with heat of ire inflamed. Thy grace hath favoured us with gifts that worked such wise as rain-clouds raining on the hills by words inframed. Freely thou lavished thy wealth to rise on high, till one from time the heights whereat thy grandeur aimed. Now, when the sage ceased reciting, the king rose quickly to his feet and fell on his neck. Then, seating him by his side, he bade dress him in a sumptuous dress, for it had so happened that when the king left the hammam, he looked on his body and saw no trace of leprosy. The skin was all clean as virgin silver. He joyed thereat with exceeding joy, his breast broadened with delight, and he felt thoroughly happy. Presently, when it was full day, he entered his audience hall, and sat upon the throne of his kingship, whereupon his chamberlains and grandees flocked to the presence, and with them the sage Duban. Seeing the leech, the king rose to him in honour, and seated him by his side. Then the food-trays furnished with the daintiest viands were brought, and the physician ate with the king, nor did he cease accompanying him all that day. Moreover, at nightfall, he gave the physician Duban two thousand gold pieces, besides the usual dress of honour and other gifts galore, and sent him home on his own steed. After the sage had fared forth, King Yunan again expressed his amazement at the leech's art, saying, This man medicined my body from without, nor anointed me with aught of ointments. By Allah, surely this is none other than consummate skill. I am bound to honour such a man with rewards and distinction, and take him to my companion and my friend during the remainder of my days. So King Yunan passed the night in joy and gladness, for that his body had been made whole, and had thrown off so pernicious a malady. On the morrow the king went forth from his seraglio, and sat upon his throne, and the lords of his state stood about him, and the emirs and wazirs sat as was their wont on his right hand and on his left. Then he asked for the sage Duban, who came in and kissed the ground before him. When the king rose to greet him, and seating him by his side, ate with him and wished him long life. 
Moreover, he robed him and gave him gifts, and ceased not conversing with him until night approached. Then the king ordered him, by way of salary, five dresses of honour and a thousand dinars. The physician returned to his own house full of gratitude to the king. Now, when next morning dawned, the king repaired to his audience hall, and his lords and nobles surrounded him, and his chamberlains and his ministers, as the white encloseth the black of the eye. Now the king had a wazir among his wazirs, unsightly to look upon, an ill-omened spectacle, sordid, ungenerous, full of envy and evil will. When this minister saw the king place the physician near him, and give him all these gifts, he jealoused him, and planned to do him harm, as in the saying on such subject, envy lurks in everybody, and the saying, oppression hideth in every heart, power revealeth it, and weakness concealeth it. Then the minister came before the king, and kissing the ground between his hands, said, O king of the age, and of all time, thou in whose benefits I have grown to manhood, I have weighty advice to offer thee, and if I withhold it, I were a son of adultery, and no true-born man. Wherefore, an thou order me to disclose it, I will do so forthwith. Quoth the king, and he was troubled at the words of the minister, and what is this counsel of thine? Quoth he, O glorious monarch, the wise of old have said, Whoso regardeth not the end, hath not fortune to friend. And indeed I have lately seen the king on far other than the right way, for he lavisheth largesse on his enemy, on one whose object is the decline and fall of his kingship. To this man he hath shown favour, honouring him with over-honour, and making of him an intimate. Wherefore I fear for the king's life. The king, who was much troubled and changed colour, asked, Whom dost thou suspect, and anent whom dost thou hint? And the minister answered, O king, an thou be asleep, wake up! I point to the physician Duban, rejoined the king. Fie upon thee! This is a true friend, who is favoured by me above all men, because he cured me with some thing which I held in my hand and he healed my leprosy, which had baffled all physicians. Indeed, he is one whose like may not be found in these days, no, not in the whole world, from furthest east to utmost west, and it is of such a man thou sayest such hard sayings. Now from this day forward I allot him a settled sold and allowances, every month a thousand gold pieces, and were I to share with him my realm, twere but a little matter." Perforce I must suspect that thou speakest on this wise from mere envy and jealousy, as they relate of the king Sindibad. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased saying her permitted say. Then quoth Dunyazad, O my sister, how pleasant is thy tale, and how tasteful, how sweet, and how grateful! She replied, and where is this compared with what I could tell thee on the coming night, if the king deigned spare my life? Then said the king in himself, By Allah, I will not slay her until I hear the rest of her tale, for truly it is wondrous. So they rested that night in mutual embrace until the dawn. Then the king went forth to his hall of rule, and the wazir and the troops came in, and the audience chamber was thronged, and the king gave orders and judged and appointed and deposed and bade and forbade during the rest of that day, till the court broke up.
and King Shahryar returned to his palace. When it was the fifth night, her sister said, Do you finish for us thy story, if thou be not sleepy? And she resumed, It hath reached me, O auspicious king and mighty monarch, that King Yunan said to his minister, O wazir, thou art one whom the evil spirit of envy hath possessed because of this physician, and thou plottest for my putting him to death, after which I should repent me full sorely, even as repented King Sindibad for killing his falcon. Quoth the wazir, Pardon me, O king of the age, how was that? So the king began the story of King Sindibad and his falcon. It is said, but Allah is all-knowing, that there was a king of the king of Fars, who was fond of pleasuring and diversion, especially coursing and hunting. He had reared a falcon which he carried all night on his fist, and whenever he went a-chasing he took with him this bird, and he bade make for her a golden couplet hung around her neck to give her drink therefrom. One day, as the king was sitting quietly in his palace, behold, the high falconer of the household suddenly addressed him, O king of the age, this is indeed a day fit for birding. The king gave orders accordingly, and set out, taking the hawk on fist, and they fared merrily forwards, till they met a wadi, where they planted a circle of nets for the chase, when, lo, a gazelle came within the toils, and the king cried, Whoso alloweth yon gazelle to spring over his head, and loseth her, that man will I surely slay. They narrowed the nets about the gazelle, when she drew near the king's station, and planting herself on her hind quarter, crossed her forehand over her breast, as if about to kiss the earth before the king. He bowed his brow low in acknowledgment to the beast, when she bounded high over his head, and took the way of the waist. Thereupon the king turned towards his troops, and seeing them winking and pointing at him, he asked, O wazir, what are my men saying? And the minister answered, They say thou didst proclaim that whoso alloweth the gazelle to spring over his head, that man shall be put to death. Quoth the king, Now by the life of my head, I will follow her up till I bring her back. So he set off, galloping on the gazelle's trail, and gave not over tracking, till he reached the foothills of a mountain chain, where the quarry made for a cave. Then the king cast off at it the falcon, which presently caught it up, and swooping down drove her talons into its eyes, bewildering and blinding it. And the king drew his mace, and struck a blow which rolled the game over. He then dismounted, and after cutting the antelope's throat and flaying the body, hung it to the pommel of his saddle. Now the time was that of the siesta, and the wold was parched and dry, nor was any water to be found anywhere, and the king thirsted, and his horse also, so he went about searching, till he saw a tree dropping water as it were melted butter from its boughs. Thereupon the king, who wore gauntlets of skin to guard him against poisons, took the cup from the hawk's neck, and filling it with the water, set it before the bird, and lo, the falcon struck it with her pounces, and upset the liquid. The king filled it a second time with the dripping drops, thinking his hawk was thirsty, but the bird again struck at the cup with her talons, and overturned it. Then the king waxed wroth with the hawk, and filling the cup a third time, offered it to his horse, but the hawk upset it with a flirt of wings. Quoth the king, 
Allah confound thee, thou unluckiest of flying things! Thou keepest me from drinking, and thou deprivest thyself also, and the horse. So he struck the falcon with his sword, and cut off her wing. But the bird raised her head, and said by signs, Look at that which hangeth on the tree. The king lifted up his eyes accordingly, and caught sight of a brood of vipers, whose poison drops he mistook for water. Thereupon he repented him of having struck off his falcon's wing, and mounting horse fared on with the dead gazelle, till he arrived at the camp his starting-place. He threw the quarry to the cook, saying, Take and broil it, and sat down on his chair, the falcon being still on his fist, when suddenly the bird gasped and died. Whereupon the king cried out in sorrow and remorse for having slain that falcon, which had saved his life. Now this is what occurred in the case of King Sindibad, and I am assured that were I to do as thou desirest, I should repent even as the man who killed his parrot. Quoth the wazir, And how was that? And the king began to tell. The Tale of the Husband and the Parrot A certain man, and a merchant to boot, had married a fair wife, a woman of perfect beauty and grace, symmetry and loveliness, of whom he was mad jealous, and who contrived successfully to keep him from travel. At last an occasion compelling him to leave her, he went to the bird-market, and bought him for one hundred gold pieces a she-parrot, which he set in his house to act as duenna, expecting her to acquaint him on his return with what had passed during the whole time of his absence, for the bird was kenning and cunning, and never forgot what she had seen and heard. Now his fair wife had fallen in love with a young Turk, who used to visit her, and she feasted him by day, and lay with him by night. When the man had made his journey, and won his wish, he came home, and at once causing the parrot to be brought to him, questioned her concerning the conduct of his consort whilst he was in foreign parts. Quoth she, Thy wife hath a man-friend, who passed every night with her during thine absence. Thereupon the husband went to his wife in a violent rage, and bashed her with a bashing severe enough to satisfy anybody. The woman, suspecting that one of the slave-girls had been tattling to the master, called them together, and questioned them upon their oaths, when all swore that they had kept the secret, but that the parrot had not, adding, and we heard her with our own ears. Upon this the woman bade one of the girls to set a hand-mill under the cage and grind therewith, and a second to sprinkle water through the cage-roof, and a third to run about right and left, dashing a mirror of bright steel through the live-long night. Next morning, when the husband returned home, after being entertained by one of his friends, he bade bring the parrot before him, and asked what had taken place whilst he was away. "'Pardon me, O my master,' quoth the bird, "'I could neither hear nor see aught by reason of the exceeding murk, and the thunder and lightning which lasted throughout the night.' As it happened to be the summer-tide, the master was astounded, and cried, But we are now in mid-Tammuz, and this is not the time for rains and storms. Ay, by Allah, rejoined the bird, I saw with these eyes what my tongue hath told thee. Upon this the man, not knowing the case, nor smoking the plot, waxed exceeding wrath, and holding that his wife had been wrongously accused, put forth his hand, and pulling the parrot from her cage, dashed her upon the ground with such force that he killed her on the spot. Some days afterwards one of his slave-girls confessed to him the whole truth, 
yet would he not believe it till he saw the young Turk, his wife's lover, coming out of her chamber, when he bared his blade and slew him by a blow on the back of the neck, and he did the same by the adulteress, and thus the twain, laden with mortal sin, went straightways to eternal fire. Then the merchant knew that the parrot had told him the truth, anent all she had seen, and he mourned grievously for her loss, when mourning availed him not. The minister, hearing the words of King Yunan, rejoiced, O monarch, high indignity, and what harm have I done him, or what evil have I seen from him, that I should compass his death? I would not do this thing, save to serve thee, and soon shalt thou sight that it is right, and if thou accept my advice, thou shalt be saved, otherwise thou shalt be destroyed, even as a certain wazir, who acted treacherously by the young prince. Ask the king, how was that? And the minister thus began. THE TALE OF THE PRINCE AND THE OGRESS A certain king, who had a son overmuch given to hunting and coursing, ordered one of his wazirs to be in attendance upon him, whithersoever he might wend. One day the youth set out for the chase, accompanied by his father's minister, and as they jogged on together, a big wild beast came in sight. Cried the wazir to the king's son, Up and at yon noble quarry! So the prince followed it, until he was lost to every eye, and the chase got away from him in the waste, whereby he was confused, and knew not which way to turn, when, lo, a damsel appeared ahead, and she was in tears. The king's son asked, Who art thou? And she answered, I am daughter to a king among the kings of Hind, and I was travelling with a caravan in the desert, when drowsiness overcame me, and I fell from my beast unwittingly whereby I am cut off from my people, and sore bewildered. The prince, hearing these words, pitied her case, and mounting her on his horse's crupper, travelled until he passed by an old ruin, when the damsel said to him, O oh, my master, I wish to obey a call of nature. He therefore set her down at the ruin, where she delayed so long, that the king's son thought that she was only wasting time. So he followed her without her knowledge, and behold, she was a rulla, a wicked ogress, who was saying to her brood, O oh, my children, this day I bring you a fine, fat youth for dinner. Whereto they answered, Bring him quick to us, O our mother, that we may browse upon him our bellies full. The prince, hearing their talk, made sure of death, and his side-muscles quivered in fear for his life, so he turned away and was about to fly. The ruler came out, and seeing him in sore affright, for he was trembling in every limb, cried, Wherefore art thou afraid? And he replied, I have hit upon an enemy whom I greatly fear. Asked the ruler, Didst thou not say, I am a king's son? And he answered, Even so. Then quoth she, Why dost not give thine enemy something of money, and so satisfy him? Quoth he, He will not be satisfied with my purse, but only with my life and I mortally fear him, and am a man under oppression. She replied, If thou be so distressed as thou deemest, ask aid against him from Allah, who will surely protect thee from his ill-doing, and from the evil whereof thou art afraid. Then the prince raised his eyes heavenwards, and cried, O thou who answerest the necessitous when he calleth upon thee, and dispellest his distress, O my God, 
grant me victory over my foe and turn him from me, for thou over all things art almighty. The Rullah, hearing his prayer, turned away from him, and the prince returned to his father and told him the tale of the wazir, whereupon the king summoned the minister to his presence, and then and there slew him. Thou likewise, O king, if thou continue to trust this leech, shalt be made to die the worst of deaths. He, verily, thou madest much of, and whom thou entreatedest as an intimate, will work thy destruction. Seest thou not how he healed the disease from outside thy body by something grasped in thy hand? Be not assured that he will not destroy thee by something held in like manner, replied King Yunan. Thou hast spoken sooth, O wazir. It may well be as thou hintest, O my well-advising minister, and belike this sage hath come as a spy searching to put me to death, for assuredly, if he cured me by a something held in my hand, he can kill me by a something given me to smell. Then asked King Yunan, O minister, what must be done with him? And the wazir answered, Send after him this very instant, and summon him to thy presence, and when he shall come, strike him across the neck, and thus shalt thou rid thyself of him and his wickedness, and deceive him ere he can deceive thee. Thou hast again spoken sooth, O wazir, said the king, and sent one to call the sage, who came in joyful mood, for he knew not what had appointed for him the compassionate, as a certain poet saith by way of illustration, O thou who fearest fate, confiding fair, trust all to him who built the world, and wait. What fate saith be, perforce must be, my lord, and safe art thou from done decreed of fate. As Duban the physician entered, he addressed the king in these lines. And fail I of my thanks to thee, nor thank thee day by day, for whom composed I prose and verse, for whom I say and lay. Thou lavishedst thy generous gifts, ere they were craved by me. Thou lavishedst thy boons unsought, sans pretext or delay. How shall I stint my praise of thee? How shall I cease to lord the grace of thee in secrecy and patentist display? Nay, I will thank thy benefits, for I thy favours lie, light on my thought and tongue, though heavy on my back they weigh and he said further on the same theme, Turn thee from grief, nor care a jot, commit thy needs to fate and lot, enjoy the present passing well, and let the past be clean forgot, for what so haply seemeth worse, shall work thy wheel as Allah wot, Allah shall do whate'er he wills, and in his will oppose him not. And further still, To thall wise subtle one trust worldly things, Rest thee from all whereto the worldling clings. Learn wisely well, naught cometh by thy will, But e'en as willeth Allah, King of kings. And lastly, Gladsome and gay, forget thine every grief, Full often grief the wisest hearts outwore. Thought is but folly in the feeble slave, Shun it, and so be saved evermore. Said the king for sole return, Knowest thou why I have summoned thee? And the sage replied, Allah most highest alone kenneth hidden things. But the king rejoined, I summoned thee only to take thy life, and utterly to destroy thee. Duban the wise wondered at this strange address with exceeding wonder, and asked, 
O king, and wherefore wouldest thou slay me, and what ill have I done thee? And the king answered, Men tell me thou art a spy sent hither with intent to slay me, and lo, I will kill thee, ere I be killed by thee. Then he called to his sworder and said, Strike me off the head of this traitor, and deliver us from his evil practices. Quoth the sage, Spare me, and Allah will spare thee. Slay me not, or Allah shall slay thee. And he repeated to him these very words, Even as I to thee, O Ifrit, and yet thou wouldst not let me go, being bent upon my death. King Yunan only rejoined, I shall not be safe without slaying thee, for as thou healedest me by something held in hand, so am I not secure against thy killing me by something given me to smell, or otherwise. Said the physician, This then, O king, is thy requital and reward. Thou returnest only evil for good. The king replied, There is no help for it. Die thou must, and without delay. Now when the physician was certified that the king would slay him without waiting, he wept and regretted the good he had done to other than the good. As one hath said on this subject, Of wit and wisdom is my Muna bear, whose sire in wisdom all the wits outstrippeth. Man may not tread on mud or dust or clay, save by good sense, else trippeth he and slippeth. Hereupon the sworder stepped forward, and bound the sage Duban's eyes, and bared his blade, saying to the king, By thy leave. While the physician wept, and cried, Spare me, and Allah will spare thee, and slay me not, or Allah shall slay thee, and began repeating, I was kind, and scaped not, they were cruel, and escaped, and my kindness only led me to ruination hall. If I live, I'll ne'er be kind. If I die, then all be damned who follow me, and curses their kindliness befall. Is this, continued Duban, the return I meet from thee? Thou givest me, meseems, but crocodile boon. Quoth the king, What is the tale of the crocodile? And, quoth the physician, Impossible for me to tell it in this my state. Allah upon thee, spare me as thou hopest Allah shall spare thee and he wept with exceeding weeping. Then one of the king's favourites stood up and said, O king, grant me the blood of this physician. We have never seen him sin against thee, or doing aught save healing thee from a disease which baffled every leech and man of science. Said the king, Ye wot not the cause of my putting to death this physician, and this it is. If I spare him, I doom myself to certain death, for one who healed me of such a malady, by something held in my hand, surely can slay me by something held to my nose, and I fear lest he kill me for a price, since haply he is some spy whose sole purpose in coming hither was to compass my destruction. So there is no help for it, die he must, and then only shall I be sure of my own life. Again cried Duban, Spare me, and Allah shall spare thee, and slay me not, or Allah shall slay thee. But it was in vain. Now when the physician, O Ifrit, knew for certain that the king would kill him, he said, O king, if there be no help but I must die, grant me some little delay, so that I may go down to my house, and release myself from mine obligations, and direct my folk and my neighbours where to bury me, and distribute my books of medicine. Amongst these I have one, the rarest of rarities, which I would present to thee as an offering. Keep it as a treasure in thy treasury. And what is in this book? asked the king, and the sage answered, 
things beyond compte, and the least of secrets is that if, directly after thou hast cut off my head, thou open three leaves, and read three lines of the page to thy left hand, my head shall speak, and answer every question thou deignest ask of it. The king wondered with exceeding wonder, and shaking with delight at the novelty, said, O physician, dost thou really tell me that when I cut off thy head it will speak to me? He replied, Yes, O king. Quoth the king, This is indeed a strange matter. And forthwith sent him closely guarded to his house, and Duban then and there settled all his obligations. Next day he went up to the king's audience hall, where emirs and wazirs, chamberlains and nabobs, grandees and lords of estate were gathered together, making the presence chamber gay as a garden of flower-beds. And lo, the physician came up and stood before the king, bearing a worn old volume and a little etui of metal full of powder, like that used for the eyes. Now he sat down and said, Give me a tray. So they brought him one, and he poured the powder upon it, and levelled it, and lastly spake as follows. O king, take this book, but do not open it till my head falls. Then set it upon this tray, and bid press it down upon the powder, when forthright the blood will cease flowing. That is the time to open the book. The king thereupon took the book, and made a sign to the sworder, who arose and struck off the physician's head, and placing it on the middle of the tray, pressed it down upon the powder. The blood stopped flowing, and the sage Duban unclosed his eyes, and said, Now open the book, O king. The king opened the book, and found the leaves stuck together, so he put his finger to his mouth, and by moistening it he easily turned over the first leaf, and in like way the second, and the third, each leaf opening with much trouble. And when he had unstuck six leaves, he looked over them, and finding nothing written thereon, said, O physician, there is no writing here. Duban replied, Turn over yet more. And he turned over three others in the same way. Now the book was poisoned, and before long the venom penetrated his system, and he fell into strong convulsions, and cried out, The poison hath done its work! Whereupon the sage Duban's head began to improvise. There be rulers who have ruled with a foul, tyrannic sway, but they soon became as though they had never, never been. Just they had won justice, they oppressed and were oppressed by fortune, who requited them with ban and bane and teen. So they faded like the morn, and the tongue of things repeats, Take this far that, nor vent upon fortune's ways thy spleen. No sooner had the head ceased speaking, than the king rolled over dead. Now I would have thee know, O Ifrit, that if King Yunan had spared the sage Duban, Allah would have spared him, but he refused so to do, and decreed to do him dead, wherefore Allah slew him. And thou too, O Ifrit, if thou hadst spared me, Allah would have spared thee. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased saying her permitted say, then quoth Dunyazad, O oh my sister, how pleasant is thy tale, and how tasteful, how sweet, and how grateful! She replied, And where is this, compared with what I could tell thee this coming night, if I live, and the king spare me? Said the king in himself, By Allah, I will not slay her, until I hear the rest of her story, for truly it is wondrous. They rested that night in mutual embrace until dawn, 
Then the king went forth to his darbar. The wazirs and troops came in, and the audience hall was crowded. So the king gave orders, and judged, and appointed, and deposed, and bade, and forbade. The rest of that day, when the court broke up, and King Shahyar entered his palace. End of section 4 of volume 1 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night.